Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. And if this is a weird voice that you've never heard before, that's because we are a soccer podcast that is now officially broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. And if you're a new listener, you're hearing this for the first time on the radio. Yes, we podcast about St. Louis soccer. We've been very heavy on MLS lately. And uh, we're going to get you guys ready for this home opener on Saturday. And we hope you enjoy this, and we hope you look us up online. We'll be getting into all that later. But Matt is—you're gonna—you're gonna learn that Matt Baker is the one that's gonna fill you in on details. He's a details guy, and Matt, thank God you're here. Matt, fill us in more on on what they're gonna be hearing today. Well, Phil, it's great to be with you and Stu again. What we do on Flyover Footy is we get into the weeds. We analyze things for what we call the hardcore soccer fan, but we try to keep it digestible and easy to follow along. So our, our ultimate goal is to bring everybody up to speed on what you're watching on the field so that you can better enjoy it and better understand it. Yeah, and in-depth is kind of our thing. So if you like soccer already, or even if you don't, but you like to get into the stats with baseball or other uh, uh, other sports, like you know, hockey and soccer have a lot in common as well, um, we're the guys. We're going to help you get nerdy with soccer, and we'll also keep you up to date with even just the average stuff that's going on, and uh, I'm sure that'll, that'll change as times go on. Um, but let's start getting into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we can start off with the recap of Austin. It was a 3-2 win to the away team, which is St. Louis City. Our guys won the game, the first ever, I think, expansion victory. Is that right, Matt? It's the second time ever that an expansion side has defeated a non-expansion side to open an MLS season. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of nuance there, a lot of different facts. It's one of those funny long stats, but um, a lot happened in this game, and um, I think most of all we're just extremely happy, not just with the victory, but how the guys played, right, Stu? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was clear everyone was uh, really fired up for – I mean, they were they were absolutely up for that match. And first match in club history – in an amazing environment in Austin against a really good team and so many great storylines like, you know, Stroud playing against his former team. Yeah, there, there's no way that was peak American soccer experience. You, you don't get better than that. That was absolutely incredible. MLS after dark perfection. <laughs> and one of the great things I thought was were that they didn't just step up, but they they lived up to the moment of being in front of one of the best fan bases in the league, one of the best stadiums in the league. It was it would have been easy and expected for them to just be overrun. I think every single pundit locally, nationally had St. Louis losing that match because it was the easy call. And and it was if you hadn't been following the team for as long as we might have, as, as long as we have, you might not have realized just how well oiled of a machine this was coming into the preseason because most expansion sides in MLS are put together in November, December on up to preseason. So there's only a couple of months that they have to really acclimate together. St. Louis City had the the benefit of City 2, the academy, things that we were able to build upon organically from the ground up in order to implement the systems that Lutz and Bradley Carnell brought to St. Louis, but also the players themselves. Uh, five or six of the players that were in the starting 11 on Saturday against Austin were with City 2 last year. So we had half of our team knowing each other for six to nine months. 
able to gel and bring that so they were able to hit the ground running in a way that an MLS expansion team has never before done. It'll absolutely be interesting to see if that becomes the blueprint for expansion teams in the future, which, Stuart, I saw you were about to say something. Of course, we're going to have more <laughs> expansion teams coming in MLS, right? But uh, I cut you off there. What were you going to say? Well, it, I, I mean, it's so underrated, one of those things you don't think about. Matt touched on it, those extra six to nine months of just you're all these people who are coming from different countries. You don't, I mean, basic things like finding an apartment, how to, how to mail things, uh, how to get a driver's license. Those are all things you have to figure out before you get comfortable. Uh, and these guys were able to get it figured out last year, uh, before one of the city two games last August, I think it was, uh, just seeing Berkey and Klaus, pulled up in the car together hmm. and they walked to the match together and just making that connection. You're, you're not alone in a new country. You, you have a friend. Um, so that chemistry builds and that was the added thing. But Phil, to your point, I don't think MLS teams will take the added hit of losing that revenue to wait a year, but I do think it really worked to our advantage in this situation. Yeah, well, and I guess a lot of teams are announced less than a year ahead, but I think most teams, if they have a choice in the future, would start a two-team the year before and bring in a bunch of you know their, their future players. Um, but you know, to the point there, five to six players coming from City 2 in the starting lineup. Matt, let's, let's list the starting lineup here, and um, there will be quick changes to that that we're about to get to after that. Yeah, it was it was an expected but little surprising starting 11 um, expected in the sense that as you follow preseason and I say follow because as, as we all know, you weren't able to watch the games. So that was a bit of a consternation. As you follow preseason, you see Bradley Carnell talked about and starting up preseason, putting small groups together. So he wanted to see how players played off each other when they were near each other on the field. So the easy example is Jake Nerwinski and Tim Parker our right back and our right center back. They've played together in the past. They played together from the beginning of preseason. You put those small groups together, your Thomas Ostrocks and your Jared Strouds, and then as preseason develops, you kind of put those pieces together. So as those groups are really shining, as those groups are able to coalesce towards each other, you see a starting 11 develop. And so by the end of preseason, we were looking at more or less uh, starting nine with a couple bubble positions. Those bubble positions were left back and the attacking mid. So our starting 11 that came into Austin reflected that. And it reflected the players who won their individual battles. It reflected uh, John Nelson at left back. It reflected Tomas Ostrak and Jared Stroud up front. But the most fascinating thing to me is that Indiana Vasilev got the start. So the way our starting 11 broke down against Austin, which is going to be important to remember going into Charlotte, is Roman Berkey was in net. Our back line was a back four of John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Jake Nerwinski. We had a defensive midfield of Edward Leuven and Indiana Vasilev. We had an attacking midfield of Jared Stroud, Tomas Ostrak, and Rasmus Alm. And then Klaus was our striker up front. Like I said, the, the main uh, battles really were that left back position with John Nelson and Selmer Pedro. Kyle Hebert was a very, very pleasant surprise. He was one of our favorite players from City 2 last year, who was our Iron Man, played just about every minute of every single game last year. And he won that battle for that left center back position because of the injury to Joachim Nilsson. Nilsson, of course, from Sweden out until the summer. 
and we're looking for kind of stop gaps until he can return to form and take his position on that back line. Indiana Vasilev, who is a traditional attacking midfielder, saw a lot of time in the preseason in that defensive midfield. And, and we love to talk about him on this show because he's such a fun kid to watch on the field. But the way that City used him this preseason was very much uh, an indicator of where they would be needing him going forward. And he gave some, some fantastic interviews. Some are on the flyover Instagram, uh, kind of teasing about where the, the coaching staff would place him. Uh, and also, I think one of the reasons that he got the start in the midfield was our vaunted defensive midfield signing from South Africa, Bulu Blome, arrived to camp a little late. And so he wasn't he wasn't yet ready for the full 90, maybe a 60, 75 minutes. So he he got the he got the the sub nod to on that match. Indiana Vasilev started. And I have been most impressed, or one of the most impressive people, to me is Jared Stroud. So Stu mentioned that Jared Stroud, kind of a revenge matchup, because he was uh, an expansion pick by Austin in their, their expansion year two years ago, played for Austin the past couple of years, but he didn't really catch on. He never really saw significant minutes against, or with Austin, rather. And so him coming here, you kind of think of him as an afterthought. We picked him up from Austin for 100000 in GAM. He was signed uh, towards the end of 22. And you didn't really know what to expect because he was great or he was good with the New York Red Bulls, but he was he disappeared with Austin. And so to see him come out the way he did, and we'll, we'll talk about him pretty in depth here in a little bit, that was very impressive to me. So I was overall very happy, obviously, with our starting 11, the way they performed. But, you know, I think that's a really good indicator of how we're going to look going forward. Stuart, any thoughts on the starting 11? Yeah, well, uh, I mean... Matt touched on Bloom being, I mean, he came to camp. I think South Africa is in the middle of their season, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't entirely out of uh, fitness, but he, it had been several weeks since he played last. So to get back up to that fitness um, and someone said he was expected to play 60 minutes on the first match or come on at the 60th minute and he played longer, but uh, Vassal of having that ability to play that position that he would normally not be expected to play. Uh, that's, that's an important skill. And that, that's something that we expect from like, uh, Akil Watts with city Two. He filled that role last year admirably. Um, I, and I thought Indy looked good for the minutes he had until he went off and now he's, he's the masked man. Uh, uh, starting 11 I thought was fantastic it, it was impressive it was good there were a few people injured John Bell was injured Nielsen's out for a long time uh, Blum wasn't maybe entirely fit uh, Isaac Jensen was Got hurt an ankle. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's next man up philosophy where uh, everyone's willing to go they're willing to run and they're willing to run their hearts out for 90 minutes mm which is not easy to do, but these guys would run through a wall for Bradley Carnell. And that's, that's exactly, exactly the philosophy and the, what the heart that Lutz and Carnell are looking for is you're, you're, you're an expansion team. You're probably not as deep. You're probably not as talented as some of the other teams, but you outrun them and you have more heart than anyone. And you can pull off amazing upset wins like, we did. 
Yeah, I mean, the guys were more than willing to run through a wall. In that game, you could see that, you know, these effort is not going to be a problem. Even Berkey in, in the uh, press conference today said, oh, you know, I didn't know Klaus could run that hard. I mean, he, he was joking, but, like, my goodness, these guys really stepped it up for this game, and it really showed in the result. Um, not just in result. We're going to get into how the guys looked during the game. My only um, comment uh, about the starting 11 would be, again, Vasilev, I w yes. We all expected him to start, or at least for someone other than Blom to start, but against the Western Conference champions in Austin, a team that has, you know, known for high possession, uh, I thought we might throw in a guy that's really especially good in the press, someone who's good on um, catching people on the counter and catching up with that. And so Blom would have been really almost vital in that first game especially, you would think, to kind of have um, a defensive stalwart in the midfield. Um, but in, instead, we saw Vasilev come in. And so are we thinking um, going forward, is Vasilev going to continue to play in that central midfield role? Is he going to play some time on the wings? Probably both, like he did in Miami. But he's capable, right? And the guys, the coaching staff trusts him there. And so that says a lot. Um, with how well this game went, I think, you know, the coaching staff as well is earning some trust, right? Yeah, to me, it speaks to our flexibility overall. And I was taking a look at numbers earlier, kind of the numbers game of where does Vasilev fit in long term. And especially now, Max Schneider, who played with City 2 last year, uh, recovering from an injury and, and signed to City as a defensive midfielder. But he's currently with City 2, kind of rehabbing or recovering, working his fitness up. So while he's out especially, we're down to essentially uh, four defensive midfielders. And Miggy Perez is one of those. So we'll talk about Miggy here in a little bit, but you're talking about pulling a 17-year-old kid, uh, signing him to a homegrown deal right before the season starts, and he sees minutes in this match. That, to me, so Vasilev got hurt early. We know that. But that, to me, speaks to that the depth in defensive midfield is where Vasilev is going to be drawn to um, unless things start to change throughout the year. You're going to get your your knocks picked up throughout the year, so none, none of our attacking midfielders are going to come through this unscathed. We're going to have opportunities for Vasilev to get back into the attack uh, a lot a lot further up the field than he is, he would be in the defensive midfield. But the way our attacking mids right now, I mean, you have uh, Jared Stroud and Isak Jensen out left, uh, pretty pretty set out there. You have Tomas Ostrak, Azil Jackson, if Azil makes the lineup. You have Rasmus Alm, Celio Pompeu out right. So you're too deep in each one of those positions. And then you have a front, uh, a striker number nine, where you're essentially three deep, not even counting Caden Glover. So you put you put Klaus, you've got Nico Joachini, and Sam Adeneron. That if if Adeneron's fully healthy and makes the the match day roster, you're deep up top. And we saw in this match, Nico drop come in as a sub, and he dropped deep, meaning he's a little bit behind that striker position. He's able to have some creativity, but I just see so much that we have up front, so many bodies that I think long-term, until something changes, until we get a little um, a need for it, Indy's going to find himself primarily in that defensive mid. But as we saw in the second half, things become more fluid. Positions start to shift a little bit as subs come in, so that could be another opportunity for him to get involved in the attack. 
Yeah, and just to kind of remind people, if you're just joining us, we are Flyover Flea, we're a St. Louis podcast, and we are broadcasting, if you're listening, on the big 550 KTRS, and uh, we've been talking about the starting 11, we've talked about the Austin game so far, we're going to talk about some events that happened throughout, and we got to pick things up, boys, we're not used to being on the radio here, uh, but in the 11th minute, um, two big things happened early in the first half that is unusual for a soccer game. Uh, St. Louis and Kip Keller came in for an injured uh, Kiskanze for Austin in the 11th minute. And uh, center back coming in, young center back coming in early in a game is never the plan, right? And so that's going to affect us throughout the game. And then another big sub, we've already mentioned that Blom had to come on for Vasilev. And that happened in the 17th minute, which is also which was an interesting. Early. It was an interesting sub because it was a concussion risk sub. So we found out later that Indy broke his nose on that play. But he was subbed out as a concussion, meaning we didn't lose anybody. We were able to continue keeping MLS allows five substitutions and three windows to sub them in. We were allowed to keep all those because Indy was subbed out as a concussion risk. Which is a new rule this year, which surely yes. we have to say uh, St. Louis's own t- Taylor Twelman surely had yes. a hand in, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, give the man his due. Um, all right, moving on. Um, let's, actually, let's talk about what happened in the first half. Uh, no goals until four minutes of extra time into the first half after the 45th minute. Driussi gets a ball over the top, collects it like the DP that he is, and and makes a a shot. Um, Beautiful. I mean, I think we're not Austin fans here, but I think we can all admit that this was just a gorgeous goal. Stu, what did you think? Oh, I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic. I mean, Driussi's first touch on there to bring it down, and then the chip was just pure skill. Uh, you could maybe, if you want to nitpick and find fault, which you really don't need to, um, there, there are some things there, but it's, it's really, he's such an incredible attacking player. And when you face quality like him, those things are going to happen, especially when you have such an aggressive press, like we do. Um, it's not an accident. It's up for MLS goal of the week. Yeah, right. Uh, but I just made my first, and it won't be my last mistake of the night, if not, uh, you know. Anyway, Tim Parker scored the first goal. That was the first goal for Austin. Hey, there's a lot going on in that match. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't just the club's first match on the field. It was our first match rooting for an MLS side. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, sent in from the corner on a corner kick from Leuven, who had eight corners on the night, by the way, uh, uh, we figured out in the press conference today. Uh, but he sent it in, and Tim Parker hammered it home, um, somewhat dunking on Kip Keller. But a lot of people out there were not blaming just Kip Keller. So that was nice to hear that the experts are actually defending uh, the St. Louis center back. Uh, but Matt, why don't you tell us more about this one? I love I love creating narratives after the fact. It's something that I'm a passion I'm passionate about. And I love the narrative of St. Louis being introduced to Edward Leuven in this way because how many times have we talked about him on our show? He's been so he's one of our designated players with Klaus and as a as a central midfielder, I can't even call him a defensive midfielder. He plays the 6, he plays the 8 and the 10, which is basically the entire spine of the midfield. Kind of he did all three that, of those all night in one he, night. He did. Yeah. Any single time of the game, he was covering all of those positions. <laughs> and he's our free kick specialist as well. So if you're not a Leuven fan, this game did it for you. And to have him assist on a corner, first goal of the of the the entire franchise and for it to be Tim Parker, who I believe it's only his fourth or fifth MLS goal ever. And for it to be 
with the celebration that it was, I think the entire, I mean, that was just like an iconic moment. It was. And to just review, that was the first goal on the board for the night. So the visitors scored first. The expansion team, playing their first game in MLS regular season history, scored first Shocking against the world. Austin, the Western Conference champions of the year before. Stu, it looks like you have something to say about it, too. No, just uh, Tim Parker coming in overhead, uh, over top of Kip Keller, and really Stuver, the Austin FC goalie kind of whiffed on the that clear hmm. but it was almost off of parker's neck it looked like but yeah neck what a shoulder. goal yeah what a goal what what timing and uh Leuven is is a guy that he, he's just incredible at free kicks so throughout this whole season you're going to want to look at him and see uh for any free kicks that are in dangerous spots or corner kicks he's going to be the guy taking them and he he's He's remarkable at them. That's that's one thing we know from his his uh, his CV overseas is just how good he is at that. In fact, I was worried that that's all he was going to be good at because there wasn't a lot of tape on the guy when he first came over. He didn't play a lot for Bochum. We definitely didn't see how good he was at Bochum um, regularly uh, like he was in this game. The guy was just off the charts. And for him to be so consistent with those corners. It was unbelievably consistent. If you're a USA fan in this last World Cup, like sign the guy up. We, I would mean, have been a dream. Would have been a million times better than what we got in the World Cup. And so that was just fun to watch that a guy in MLS can outdo every American on the pitch during the entire World Cup. So, um, and he's playing here in St. Louis. So that's something to watch throughout. Um, but and I love yes. I, I love the phrase like I wanted to shock and awe people. I wanted to shock the world, and that Parker mm-hmm. goal shocked the world. I fully believe that entire first half was controlled by St. Louis, and I felt like yeah. I, I felt like Austin wasn't expecting it. So whenever you're able to play the style that St. Louis does, which is a pressing style, but also the way that and Phil, you had a great feature on uh, our flyover Instagram about uh, the answer that Bradley Carnell gave about the style of play we have. It's not your traditional pressing where you send the ball up and you hope that somebody makes a play down the field. You're completely vertical. Leuven also had the most passes of anyone on our team in this match. So we were playing the ball through him in the central midfield. He was distributing just as much as he was uh, creating chances and leveraging his leg on the free kicks. But if it wasn't for the Driussi goal at the end of the first half, which completely changed the entire flow of the game, I can only imagine how we would have come out in that second. But like you said... The first half, unfortunately, ended with a Driussi goal. And to me, it kind of caused us to come out flat in the second half, which which we fully did on through that Gallagher goal. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think, um, first of all, we you know, that video that I posted today was talking about how we aren't just a pressing team. I didn't realize that that Leuven had the most passes in the game, but it makes sense. That is proof that we're not just a Red Bull team hoofing it forward, playing direct constantly. We played through our midfield in this game. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to start taking pictures of the stats at halftime because you can't find them otherwise. But I think we had more possession in the first half than Austin did. If that's true, I'm not, I can't promise you, but if so, my gosh, like that's unheard of for a, a team that is known for pressing. Um, so, um, that was really cool to hear. And then, like you said, Matt, coming out of the first half, Austin definitely made some changes, but I think they had to. The only progress they were able to make was sending a ball over the top to their DP, and then he worked some magic. That is not what Austin is. Austin was the second most possessing team in MLS last year. 
and that really played to our advantage. Maybe I can touch on that later if we have time. Maybe not. But you know, that was really awesome that we forced them to play in a way that they didn't want to play. And they did get a goal, goal out of it, um, but in the second half, they came out very on fire, very differently. They had adjusted, and, and St. Louis hadn't at that point. Yeah, and it was it was the sub, too. So to your point of the changes kind of making the difference in the second half, um, they subbed on Gallagher. Austin did in the 68th yeah. minute, and he scored four minutes later. Yeah. And the way he scored, it to me, it kind of, kind of mirrored Driussi in the sense that Austin – played the way that a team needs to play against St. Louis to beat them. We saw it with City 2 last year where we keep that high back line. Our back four defenders play high up the field. You'll see it against Charlotte where they're almost playing up to midfield. And that's what was happening. And Driussi made a run, was kept onside by John Nelson left back, and he got into that 1v1 situation. Because you could see the other three uh, defenders, they kind of stayed further up. Driussi got into the goal. Well, when Gallagher scored, it was kind of kind of just beating the defense as they were trying to create a high line. So they they were getting further back in their zone. You could see all of them step forward in the center back position. Uh, Jabulu Blome was involved, and Gallagher just kind of played the ball past them where they were trying to – they were actively trying to attack him, swarm him, and he was just able to maneuver the ball quickly. And you have to – you have to kind of give credit to his fresh legs because yeah. he had just subbed on. He was kind of – he was speedy, you could tell, and he created his own chance there. That, to me, was – you would think that that would have been kind of the backbreaker for City, where we had, we had lost the lead in the first half. We, we go down somewhat early in the 72nd minute. But if you look at – if you look at the stats, the game flow, the possession, from that point on, after Gallagher scored, we started playing our style of play again. And so when you're thinking about what this says about the team, not just the win, but the individual ebbs and flows of the game, we got punched in the jaw there in the 72nd minute, and we came right back up fighting. And we didn't just come back up fighting, but we said we're going to start playing our style of play that we had lost for about 30 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's give some some uh, some context about what happened, but we got to speed things up here. We'll talk about the last two goals, and then we'll move on to talking about Charlotte here in a minute. Uh, but Joe Keeney came on in the 59th minute, uh, as did Miguel Perez, the 17-year-old uh, Pattonville High School student that is our second homegrown, came in. Uh, we mentioned that earlier. Um, and in the 78th minute, let's talk about this goal. Jared Stroud gets uh, an assist from St. Louis and Kip Keller, who plays for the other team. Um, this is a controversial one. Stuart, you got to lead off on this one on your thoughts. Yeah, so there's been a few theories on this one as to whether or not uh, Jared Stroud called for the ball. And there is a rule, uh, FIFA rule, soccer rule, that you can't imitate or uh, distract an opponent. It's a cautionable offense, but it's you know, referee discretion. So, you know, you can't say like pass it here or back, back or through or, or whatever. Um, so there's debate on whether or not Stroud actually called for the ball or he's motioning for uh, Klaus to close in on Keller. Uh, but ultimately, it, I mean, it's on, it's on Kip. Uh, I mean, I love, I love Kip. St. Louis guy, slew star, but um, he made the mistake and he passed it right to Jared Stroud, and that is the easiest ball that Jared Stroud will ever have in his career. I mean, just 
right there. He couldn't believe it. He didn't even celebrate. And Jared Stroud really wanted to celebrate any goal against Austin. So the fact that he didn't celebrate that one, you could tell he he kind of felt bad for for Kip. And I think the only the only argument is did he verbally say anything on the field, hmm. which we don't we don't know, but he definitely un, unequivocally motioned with his hands to his feet, yeah. which in soccer is a pretty standard language of either you should have or you should pass me the ball right now. And with Kit being pressured by Nelson over there, um, you know, he, he looked around, but, you know, it is what it is. If nothing else, I mentioned earlier how Jared Stroud did nothing for Austin and he kind of came to us. We weren't expecting anything. What a way to make a name for yourself in this league and with a new team than to become essentially the villain of the week for the league. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody's everybody has a hot take on on did Jared Stroud completely trick Kip Keller? Uh, did he do that to his former teammate, his former friend? They say former because how can you how can you make it through that? It's a fun storyline if nothing else, and it resulted in a city goal. So you know I have a hard time finding fault in what he did. Yeah, but also the uh, Brad Suver, the Austin goalie is in between or is on the other side of Keller and Stroud. And he has to be the one to be yelling at Keller there mm-hmm. that there's a man there. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, I thought Suver was just honestly not very good for Austin in the game. And that was one of the moments where it was really apparent the first goal and the second goal, that second goal, he has to be screaming at Keller. Like, do not, do not pass back. And I mean, Keller made the mistake. Stroud scored the goal, but I think Suver was, was weak on there too. I really did think though that that goal opened it up for the rest of the game because after that Stroud goal, the Klaus goal that followed and kind of with the nail in the coffin, to me, the only reason the Klaus goal worked is because uh, we stretched the field. You know, you had Leuven pass to Joachini who threw balled it on the right side to Klaus. That was such a beautiful pass and sequence and it worked so well hmm. because we had stretched out Austin. And, and Austin being being the home team, being one of the top teams in the league last year, we're not prepared for that sequence that City gave him. So I mentioned after the Gallagher goal, especially after the Stroud goal, I mean, City was just on the on the gas pedal. And Klaus's goal candidate of the week was just phenomenal. And Phil, I'm sure you, you absolutely love that goal, too. Yeah, it was it was my favorite goal of the, the week. I don't care. I know it's hometown bias there, but, you know, it was it was cool to hear in the I forgot who said it in the press conference today, but you know in a three two game clearly it's both teams going for goals and that's how you got Austin stretched out. We were about to embarrass them, even drawing Austin, you know, in that game was an embarrassment to them. And so to be honest, I thought St. Louis was going to sit back. It's just a mental thing. Typically, you you tie it up in a game that you're expected to lose. It's getting late in the game. Your legs are clearly tired, have been tired for a while now. And no, both teams wanted goals in that moment. Like you said, Austin got stretched out. They wanted that goal, and we took advantage of it. We were able to get them in transition. Um, Joe Keeney, the sub, to Klaus, the veteran. And, and what a veteran goal, right? You know, the man. The, the big step man. back? Yeah, the step back. I mean, he, he got Kip pretty good. Um, Kip maybe could have done some things better, but it was just a veteran move with the outside of the boot finish, uh, a striker's finish. Uh, Klaus at that point looked done, laid down on the ground, and, and was it was shortly. He, he said after the match that he was cramping everywhere. <laughs> what what a way to exit a game! Score a goal, oh you cramp, you leave, you you get a stars exit. Definitely a mic drop for sure. <laughs> 
And it was at this point after the after that that we saw um, Leuven playing his fourth position of the game. One could argue uh, playing the striker <laughs> role here in there. We um, we parked the bus after that. Yes, we did. I think Yarrow came in, which is really awesome to see another City Two captain come in in that game in the first game. Um, one that I was scared might be out of favor um, and wouldn't get a, a look in MLS proper. And I'm so glad that he got into this game. It made me feel good as a, a City Two fan. He, Josh, and really quick, Josh Arrow is a guy who comes out to support the supporters. He has Josh Arrow Foundation. I mean, he's just a community-driven, just stand-up guy that we all love to root for. Absolutely. Any quick last thoughts about this game? We got to move on. Good. Oh, guys, we're, we're doing pretty good here. Uh, if you are just joining us, this is Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast, and we are broadcasting for the first time on the big 550 KTRS. Welcome. We are so glad to have you on board, and we're going to talk about our home opener now. This is, the, this is the big game. This is the one we've been waiting so, so, feels like ages, so long to attend, and uh, we're going to be facing up Charlotte in this game. Uh, the team that was an expansion team last year. And um, it'll be a, a pretty good matchup. Matt, do you want to get us started on this one? Yeah, one of the good things from an on-the-field perspective is that we're pretty good on the injury front. Um, we heard today that Indiana Vasilev and Isak Jensen should both be available, whether or not they're going to make the match day roster. They're both progressing. Vasilev broke his nose and is wearing a face guard, so if you're at the match, you'll notice that number 19 is uh, looking like a Batman or somebody on the field, depending on what the color of his face mask is. <laughs> Um, or Birdman, I think they called him today. I'm going to interrupt you quickly. Uh, they are, I think they're all black. He tried on three different masks in practice Perfect. to see which one was best, but please continue. So he has that going. Um, John Bell, uh, one of our expansion draft picks, said to not be practicing. He's doing some individual drills with City 2. Max Schneider is training with City 2. Um, and and so, those, so that's pretty much it. Joachim Nilsson's out. So we have a really healthy squad going into this. And I think that that will be kind of like the cherry on top because this match isn't just about on the field. Like we know we've, we've been in the weeds of on the field stuff, but if you've paid attention to any piece of media around the area, any, any radio, any TV, internet, I mean, it's all about the experience, the festivities, the homecoming of professional soccer to St. Louis. This is something that we, as much as we've been looking forward to seeing city play on the field, we're opening our soccer cathedral to the world on Saturday. Apple TV, MLS season pass allows every like countries across the globe to see this. And we know countries across, across the globe are watching this. We've seen Taylor Twelman uh, tweet out examples of, of African countries watching this who have players in MLS and their families can watch this. This is global eyes on St. Louis. It's the game of the week. Uh, the best broadcasters are going to be here. Taylor Twelman's broadcasting it. There's going to be a, a two-night party that takes place. I mean, the club is going all out to make sure that this really feels like a, a Cardinals-level event, to borrow a, a St. Louisism. But but it's the it's the proper homecoming for soccer in St. Louis. It's what we deserve. It's what St. Louisans, past, present, and future deserve. This is going to be something that everybody involved in, everybody witnessing it is going to be able to tell their kids and grandkids about for years to come. It is, Stuart. I mean... The history of St. Louis soccer, I mean, it's it's something that I think you, of all people, should probably talk about at this moment. What are you looking forward to on Saturday, and, and what have been your thoughts as, as we lead up to this game? I mean, for me personally, I have some uh, things I've been working on with some of the other supporters that everyone will be able to see uh, before 
the match starts. But from a fan perspective in general, I mean, this is uh, this is the first first division top flight home match in St. Louis since I think 1973, when uh, St. Louis Stars moved to California in the old NASL. So there's going to be some old timers in the stadium who will remember that. But a lot of people are going to be remembering, you know, steamers matches in the old mm. arena, ambush games, uh, you know, St. Louis FC games, AC St. Louis. But all of that's kind of leading to this. And you'll 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 talk to some of those guys, even even guys like um, the old CEO of U.S. Soccer, Dan Flynn, would say things like, you know, this is a thing building. Everything's been building towards, you know, MLS and St. Louis. So really on Saturday where, you know, everyone's standing on the shoulders of giants and it's just hmm. it for, for people who aren't, who are a little newer, it might sound kind of like we're just gushing and talking and uh, going overboard on this, but it, it really is something for a lot of us that's been decades in the making and it's going to be just unbelievable in some way. Just how can you, just can't accept it. it. Just doesn't sink in. Saturday was unreal enough, and and this Saturday is going to be just unreal. You you have the America's first soccer capital, which exists as a re- for a reason. You know the St. Louis Soccer League that predates this club by 120 plus years. Uh, you have the 1950 World Cup team. You have all of the national team players. This is the culmination of everything they've worked towards to give St. Louis a backyard top tier team that can take their place in the top flight of American soccer after seeing our city being passed over time and time again. And, and whether it, whether you can attribute that to the Taylor family for stepping up in their shifting from their completely philanthropic efforts to bringing home soccer and giving soccer its proper home in St. Louis or, or however you want to create the narrative, it, it, what should have happened a long time ago and what deserves to happen for the foreseeable future is going to happen Saturday. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this podcast originated with St. Louis FC, the USL team that was in town and, and the Luligans predate uh, St. Louis FC. You know, they were following the women's team. They were following um, what, sorry, the St. Louis. Uh, Atletica. Uh, yeah. And AC St. AC Louis, St. Louis and, mm-hmm. and other semi-pro teams before that and um it's our baby you know we feel like this is our little our baby we've we've really care about the way that st louis celebrates soccer and i just want to say that i think we're extremely lucky that we got the owner we did that the wait has been very worthwhile because you know to be honest i'm glad we didn't get our last two ownership groups and i'm really 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 happy that we got Carolyn Kindle, and um, because it's just being handled so well, and and we're also very lucky to get Lutz Fennenstiel, and and more. Right, we all love the staff. Um, we've been very happy with almost everything, you know. Um, <clears throat> so you know, this is such a good base, such a good start <clears throat> to what is going to become uh, something legendary. I think St. Louis and soccer, St. Louis and sports in general. This has no choice but to be a legendary endeavor. And so I'm um, looking forward to that starting on Saturday. But um, let's start getting nerdy about it, though. Let's talk about Charlotte. We can do – let's start with the starting 11, right? Matt, do you, do you think it's going to be really similar to what we saw against Austin, or do you think there will be a change or two? I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jabulu Blome in the midfield. 
But other than that, I think we stay pat. Um, all the players gelled really well together. Um, that, that to me, it's a 1A, 1B situation for me. Indiana Vasilev or Jabulu Blome. I didn't see anything overly poor from anybody who was on the field. And I think our subs, when they came in in the second half, did their job. They made the difference in the attack. They provided fresh legs. I would not be surprised to see that going again. Yeah, fresh legs is something, you know, you could argue that, that like that second goal, the fresh legs that, that we saw from Gallagher hurting our tired legs in the 60th minute. Uh, so, you know, something to think about. Will, will subs come sooner? But, Stuart, anything you think you might change, even talking about starting 11 or subs? I think instead of uh, lost some power here, you guys tell me. Oh yeah, we have you still. Uh, yeah, so I think instead of uh, maybe Azil Jackson, we see uh, Isaac Jensen if he's healthy mm. comes on on the bench. Maybe uh, Jensen instead of Celio Pompeo Martin. Um, but other than that, I think the lineup was really solid against Austin. And uh, we stick with that. Yeah, I'll tell you, Phil, the, the thing that I'm worried about is the narrative is being crafted right now um, that St. Louis is the polar opposite of what we were thought to be at the beginning of the season. We're, we're showing ourselves, we're proving ourselves. So we have some um, we're not we're starting to not be the underdogs of everything. Uh, the DraftKings betting line has us a little bit as a favor, uh, not just because we're home, but Charlotte's performance in week one was pretty substandard. Their fans were mm. not happy. I talked with some of their fans this week on one of their uh, YouTube shows, and they were all they were all about ready to get rid of some of their DPs because <laughs> they were just underperforming. Charlotte has three designated players to watch out for all in their attack. Uh, number seven, Joswiak, number 11, Swiderski, and uh, number nine, Enzo Capetti. Capetti's brand new to the team. Uh, Joswiak was highly underperforming out on the left wing. They weren't able to string together passes. Capetti, their number nine designated player up front, does well when he's able to get service from the sides, meaning you're able to cross the ball in the middle, you're able to find him um, in the box, and they just weren't able to do that. So in addition to our starting 11, I think there's kind of a, a perception from Charlotte that they're the massive underdogs coming in here. Whereas they were the decent expansion team last year, playoff team, bubble team last year. I think I think we're going to have to um, contend with that as they kind of feel they don't have anything to lose. And last year they were a very poor away team. They only had three wins on the road last year. So everything seems to be favoring us as long as we stick to our game plan. And just like Austin, if we can play our game plan over as much of 90 minutes as possible, then I feel we're going to win. And Charlotte, if we can force them to the wings, if we can force them into just sending the ball and not actually playmaking, their wingers are not good enough to be doing that. And they didn't show against the Revs on Saturday that they can actually reach Capetti. More of that is what I want to see. Agree with everything you just said. Um, I was cramming this game right before this show, and I agree. I mean, it was pretty dull. And some of that could be that the Revolution is a, is a well-trained team, right? They're a good defending team. And so we'll have to at least make that our base, that if we defend really well, and I think we did a good job against Austin, um, and we see more of that, then, yeah, I think we'll be fine against them. The other thing I think we have going for us, again, I think St. Louis City teams, it's early to say this, but St. Louis City teams do well against high-possession teams. Charlotte was the fourth highest possessing team in the East last year. Oh, no, the MLS last year. So um, 
we have a good chance against these guys. And they weren't making much out of that possession. There were some flashes. But anyway, I think we match up well against them. I think more of the you know, same as what we did against Austin is, is, is the ticket here, like you said, Matt. And I don't know how true this is, but there's a rumor in their fan base going around that St. Louis handpicked Charlotte to play their home opener just because they think that Charlotte is the most likely team that they could beat. Hmm. Whether that's true, whether St. Louis has any any control, that's the rumor going on in their fan base. It could be furthering that underdog narrative, trying to trying to give themselves uh, an out if they were to lose. Uh, but it exists, and I think that's an interesting national local perspective on both sides on how this matchup is being viewed. I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, oh, go ahead, Stuart. <laughs> I didn't know you were back. Come on, go for it. No, I mean uh, DC United, San Jose. Colorado, yeah. Rapids. I mean, those are all clubs I, I would pick ahead of Charlotte. So maybe we should maybe we should uh, get into those "woe is me" narratives if we go on a, a three game skid later this year. Well, oh, I, I have conspiracies I can pull out there. So many conspiracies. Yeah, I was gonna say the same, but yeah, I was gonna say also that you know what is it a sporting thing or an American thing to always be the underdog to always have find some reason to have a chip on your shoulder. Every sport does it in the United States and and some in the World Cup even we're doing it for sure it's a good weapon right it's a good tactic to rile your players up (laughs) um wonderful so yeah we'll see I I, you know I don't think Charlotte's gonna underestimate us in any way and so um you know maybe there's that to look out for and in the press conference today every single person that was uh speaking today from the club said you know we're no confidence completely clean slate we got to do this again and better in the next game so you know nothing to worry about from the club standpoint they're going to come at this just like they did with austin um and so you know we'll just we'll see how it plays out one thing we all know and one thing they all know as well that they all mentioned is that the fans are going to be there they're going to be strong we're going to be loud and so you know i think they're going to have that in their favor which i think is gonna it's going to pay off in, in spades uh for a team that is athletic and and physical as we are i think we're going to bring that hellcat vibe uh atoning back to the bar they just opened there in the uh, northeast corner i think that we're gonna we're gonna bring the same um, attacking mindset and trying to press and push the ball and swarm that we did against austin it worked worked well there's no reason to believe that it can't against charlotte it can even work better because charlotte has a team that's like you said phil ready made for that type of pressure and on top of that i think um the biggest thing is for our players to play themselves up or down to the moment right don't be overwhelmed by the moment but don't be uh overwhelmed by your opponent so knowing the gravity knowing the history knowing this moment they all do it's always in the back of their mind they're not they're not tuning out the world but being able to control that and and use it as a driving force and staying within yourself is what's going to really allow them to play their game. Agree. All right. Well, I think, guys, I think we've done it. We've fit in everything we wanted to talk about in, in 45 minutes. And so this is our time to sign off. And so just to kind of let you all know, if you're listening on the radio, this is Flyover Footy. We're a soccer podcast for St. Louis. You can find our podcast in all the places you might get any podcast you've ever listened to. We have a YouTube and an Instagram where you can look up video clips that we get throughout the week. And uh, we have a Twitter where you can get tons and tons of updates uh, that we find throughout the Twitterverse, uh, especially from Matt Baker. Matt Baker has lots of stuff to provide in that regard. 
if you have any questions, hit us up on our Twitter. Um, we've got a YouTube page. You know, it will be back next week, uh, with, hopefully. And we look forward to bringing you more of this kind of knowledge, prepping you for the next matchup while looking back at the one before. And if there's news or nuggets during the week that come, we'll, we'll bring those to you as well. Um, really appreciate you listening. And if you're still listening at 7 o'clock right now uh, or nearly 7, make sure you get in that stadium because there is a fantastic – uh, TIFO display that you will surely not want to miss and you always want to be there for all the pregame festivities that the the club has that the supporters will provide it's an atmosphere that you want to spend as much time as possible in and I can't wait for St. Louis to experience it that's right so thank you everybody for listening again this is the big 550 KTRS and we are fly over footy the podcast for St. Louis uh, soccer and uh, we're signing off here thanks for listening we'll, we'll talk to you soon all right, we're recording. We're we're back. We just finished our first radio segment ever. Uh, Matt, how'd it feel? <laughs> a little bit surreal. So I, I was joking with Phil that um, a lot of people are probably listening to this on their pods. They might not have have checked the teaser that we dropped on Twitter. Then um, just it sounds bizarre because we jumped right into uh, the big five fifty KTRS. And the way what 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 happened is. Um, we were asked by 550 to be a part of their soccer coverage, uh, knowing that they would not be airing the city matches themselves. But if anybody is familiar with listening to soccer on the radio in St. Louis, you know that 550 is probably one of the best, most consistently um, coverage places that you can find soccer. Uh, Brennan Weezy does a great job with uh, the big soccer show. Yeah, I meant um, to mention him. STL Soccer Weekly. You know, it's 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 a consistent thing. They've got the the national one on Thursday now with Tim Ream, and they've upped the ante with their soccer coverage, almost counter programming uh, to to the the stations that air the city games right now, because there's a passion. And when when I was kind of approached to to see, do you want to do you want to do something here? Is this something you want to be a part of? It was in context of we're not just taking the existing stuff that we're doing and we're continuing it because, you know, we don't have the games. We, we can't invest anything. It's no, we're going all in because we know the city is clamoring for more soccer coverage. So they've, they've added different nights throughout the week, uh, for their soccer coverage. And the, the humbling thing that they wanted to do is take our podcast and put it on at 6 PM on Saturdays, which is essentially a pregame show. So if you want to if you want to listen to city coverage before the match, we're an option now. And it's insane to think about. It's an insane prep, uh, proposition, honestly. Like surreal, I guess doesn't begin to describe it, but you know, it's not just like taking advantage of an opportunity, but it's making sure that we are a part of something that really honors and really uh, cares for soccer in St. Louis. It's not this random station on the AM dial or the FM dial that has never done this before. And they just say, Hey, I heard we're getting a soccer team. You want to be, you want to be our, our soccer people. And it's, it's part of a bigger hole that, um, you know, you, you really can't beat being on a radio station a couple nights after Tim Ream. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and quickly, you know, again, Brandon Weezy's been doing this five fifties. They were covering St. Louis FC. I mean, mm -hmm. it, if anyone was going to take off and, and do this right um, and with like a, a grassroots vibe, if anyone was going to give us a chance for that matter, um, I love that it was 550. And so, um, you know, they're 
you know, last week we went off on this this rant on why are these major radio stations not covering soccer? This seems like a no brainer. Like, you know, we we teed it up for you. Just hit the damn thing. You know, like do some radio shows, provide content, and like they're just passing on it or they're swinging and missing. And KTRS is like licking their chops because they're like, great, we're good at this. We can expand this. They're really trying to take advantage of it. And man, as, as a St. Louis fan, as a grassroots soccer guy, as a grassroots media guy, I mean, I'm in love with this move. Um, and so, you know, really so excited to be able to, to be a part of it, even if they cancel us after tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no, no uh, guarantees that this will be happening in uh, week three or four or anything like that. This was very much a, a trial run to see how it goes, but um, I, I felt good about what that portion that we did. And I, I do have to say that um, I mentioned it's, it's humbling. I, I also don't want it to seem self-serving in the sense that I was a, a huge, along with you and, and Stu, a proponent that St. Louis media needs to pay more attention to soccer. We've seen we've seen various outlets do a better job recently. Admittedly, like there there are a lot of different outlets, TV stations, KMOV in particular does a a fantastic job covering them now. I love the weather focus with the city logo forecast. But there is there's a self serving aspect that I'm fully aware of in the sense that we are some of the biggest harpers on somebody needs to air more soccer coverage. You need to bring in people who know, people who are passionate, people who care, people who can speak to this. And suddenly we're the people. And I, it's it, it's humbling first and foremost. And I'm very self-conscious about that piece of it. So I just wanted to say that. I wanted to address it. But honored and overjoyed that we get this opportunity. Um, hopefully it, it comes across well and hopefully it sounds as informed as I hope it does. Um, because there's nothing I love doing more than talking about this thing that I'm so passionate about. And I know you guys are the same. Stu, we're hogging the airways. What do you think, man? I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel. I have a fear. I just want to say for the podcast that, um, you know, I have a very shadowy past when it comes to podcasting in St. Louis and, and doing other things in St. Louis. And I've just found that, um, if I start thinking I might be doing something big, that's when I'm about to make a massive mistake. And so, you know, staying humble, learning how to stay humble has been a, a massive thing for me in the past. And so that part of it scares me. And so, um, just know that, you know, if you guys got questions, if you have thoughts, uh, you guys are what it's about really. And so I want to make everybody happy out there. So hopefully we can do that. If you have again. feedback of any kind, we're desperate for it. I would well, love to hear how that comes across. I already quit my day job. So yeah, right. you Stu is all in. We're talking like we have more than seven listeners right now. So I don't know what we're doing, but uh, no, let's, let's talk more about uh, the games because I think we skipped over a few things. I want to kick it off with the most spicy story of, of the week because we barely touched on it. Let's talk more about this Kip Keller assist to Jared Stroud. Like, how do we really feel about this? Because to be honest, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I didn't get to comment on it in the, in the real show uh, because really it's if the guy called for it. I'm not saying he did. I'm saying it looked like he did. But let's just say he did in our imaginations that's not ethical. And I don't like that. And if someone else did that on the other team, I'd be losing my mind. Like if I figured out they did that in a match, 
I would not stop screaming for the rest of the match. I can't believe Stroud wasn't booed for the rest of the match, for that matter. I um, can't believe he ended the match healthy. <laughs> right. Well, he he did get at least one beer. Yeah. Nearly thrown. empty beer thrown at him from That's the stands right. when he was walking yeah. off. Um, but yeah, no, you, you'd think he also had a really, really uh, uh, tough tackle on Reese uh, before right. that, which, which could have been a... That could have been yellow on its own. Oh yeah, uh, probably should have been. been yeah. But he, he, that was on purpose. He he was making a statement, and um, I don't know. On that on that second goal, I I think you get away with that uh, for the most part. I mean, Stuver was also calling a few minutes before that, I believe, for a caution for a dive. Remember in the box, uh, he went oh. for a ball. Yeah, and I believe that was on Stroud as well. Um, so if if Stuver was hearing or feeling something that maybe Stroud had called for it, maybe at that point he would have been throwing his arms up and protesting. Um, so maybe it was just a hand motion and not verbal. That's yeah, that's where I'm coming from because there's one thing to say the ref missed it, but. Uh, you, you, I can understand Kippy just being in shock and not moving, but there were other players in the vicinity. If he actually said something and like verbalized, I'm open, pass the ball, Kip back here, something like that, you would figure there'd be a lot more complaining, a lot more physicality occurring against Stroud. I yeah, Stroud, Stroud should have gotten, if, if that's what they thought, you'd expect Stroud would get a really really rough physical tackle at some point uh not long after that goal um and that's what the national pundits were saying too so the extra time guys everybody who's talking about this is like if if something really happened and the players in the field felt strongly that it was a a dirty play deserving of a yellow it was a friendship ruiner then they would have they would have taken it into their own hands on the field and and none of that happened so it's not that i'm defending what he did but because his hands were obviously down, right? Like I can't, every angle I've seen, his hands are down to his feet where he's, he's, he's first of all, he's in that position because he's recovering from the previous play. Yeah. He's not just, that's not his natural position to play behind the, the person who has the ball like that. He would have been up swarming Kippy had he not taken a few extra seconds to get up. So he's still recovering from the last play. And it just so happened that, Poor, poor Keller, honestly, because he was pushed back by Nelson. He wasn't pressed too overly hard. Nelson still had some space to give him, but he was he was pushing the ball back to his own area. His You can see his eyes looking around. Like he was looking at the ball, looking up, looking at the ball, looking up. And I don't I, I just think it was a brain fart by Keller that he whether it was he looked up real quick, saw the face and had a flash or or saw the hands or something. But, you know, I, I it's a no win situation for St. Louis. Right. Because either either we're saying, uh, oh, what an idiot Kip Keller is or we're saying, oh, what a jackass Jared Stroud is. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to call Stroud a, a jackass for that. And I know no. you are. But um, <laughs> it's I, I'm, I'm neutral, to be fair. I don't think either is true, to be fair. Yeah, just the. If this sequence of events happens, I'm glad it happened in this order where it benefited us. And uh, <laughs> you know, if, if Keller has a really bad game, I'm glad we're the ones that benefit 
ultimately selfishly. Um, and I <laughs> that's love serving right there. Yeah, I mean, it is. It absolutely is. I fully admit that. Um, but if if Keller had a really bad game against, say, uh, San Jose, I, I would feel I mean, I feel awful for him now, but I would feel just like St. Louis gained nothing. Whereas now we we kind of did, but I think actually Keller is getting way too much flack on that third goal, uh, particularly because I feel like his uh, center back partner. If you watch him, he uh, I don't know who Austin's right back is who's trailing with him, but they're both in the midfield, and there's no support coming in from for Klaus on that third goal for St. Louis, and uh, the Finnish center back Vasinen. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce I think that. that. Is right, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sign-in, he just shuts off and just stops tracking down on Klaus. Whereas when Klaus beats Keller, if a sign-in was mm-hmm. actually covering, he should have shut down Klaus, and that would have been it. I mean, it, it's it's just there's not enough, um, I think, criticism for that move you know, there. But- I think they're, th- that play is not unlike the Driussi goal in the sense that it was John Nelson who was just on an island back uh, dealing with Driussi. And we're not like, obviously, we care less because we won the match, but we're not hammering John Nelson for allowing Driussi to create space and flick it past Berkey. We're not hammering our back line for. Um, failing to get back, but we could, you know, and and yeah. that to me says more about the situation than it does the individual player, because those kinds of things happen. And and Keller was caught in a one v one where he was trying to track back Klaus. But the other thing that it does for me is it kind of highlights the lack of respect that Klaus is getting, because I've seen comments from Austin fans that are like, that was an that was a slow, it was an old man step back. And, and for you to be flying past him when he did that is unforgivable. And I, I can't get past that. I can never support that notion because, A, Klaus is 26 years old and he's fast as hell from like what we talked about earlier. But that step back, and you, you, if, it, if you look at it from certain camera angles, it doesn't look as impressive as it truly was. Like the MLS uh, goal of the week camera angle in that, that one video, that, that wasn't the best overhead video. Down on the field, that was a hard cutback. And he barely got back to the ball to play it with his right foot. Hmm. So just that combination of play, I think it's it's overly uh, being critical on Kip Keller when he doesn't deserve – I agree, Phil, he doesn't deserve that as much hate as he's getting on that third goal. Yeah, and um, I mean with uh, Klaus, he's – I mean Keller's six foot one, and he looks really short against Klaus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I saw – and Matt, I know you saw this online was people complaining about Klaus not moving fast, but he's a really, really tall man. Yeah. And the fact that he's balding probably is part of the old man trope that some people are saying, mm-hmm. but he, he's, he's like uh, uh, Jay Bomeister with the blues to cross courts yeah. who really long stride, who covers a lot of ground really fast, but he doesn't look like he's moving very fast at all. So every big tall striker looks exactly like that. Every one of them, you know, even the best. Who's the Man City striker right now? You know how I am with names. Holland, yeah. Holland doesn't look as fast as he is, but everyone gets burned by him. You know what I mean? Same thing. Um, 
I think another story. Well, and lastly, um, the good news on Kip Keller is, you know, Coach Wolf after the game um, was asked about Kip, and he said, "We got to rally around him." It wasn't like damning, like, "Oh, you know, we got to see who else we got." It was, "We got to rally around him. He's he's a player of the future. We got to get him back." And so, I do think he gets another chance. I do think maybe he gets to start the game and prove his worth. And I think St. Louisans hope for that and and even have faith that he will do so in the near future. Yeah. And, and the thing about slew athletes are they have a good support system mm-hmm. and, and Kevin Kalish takes care of his own reached out to Kip Keller and Patrick Schulte who had the bad week and, and that kind of mentorship and, and almost like a, a parental relationship is so important when you go through a week like this to make sure that your head's right. You're not persisting in this, um, tailspin and, the the support that Keller has in Austin, um, it seems like it, it's that kind of extension of what Kalish offers still from SLU. Um, so I, I'm glad that he has that. I'm glad that that exists for him. And he's going to be needed because uh, what's his name? The guy that he came in for, Cas- Castellos or Castellane? Cascante. Cascante, yeah. yeah. Cascante's out for a bit, isn't he? Yeah. So Keller's going to see some time. Yeah, though Alex Ring, I think they're projecting to maybe make some starts at center back, okay. and uh, mm. or maybe as cover. I know that's not Alex Ring's normal right. position, but um, in a pinch, I think. But I think Keller's maybe their best option. But. Well, they they talked about there is no other depth other than Ring, and I can't remember who else they right. mentioned on on extra time. But it's, they don't have much choice. They this is what no. they have. They put their faith in Keller clearly. So let's hope he can he can provide a little more in future games. And I think he'll he'll get the chance. It's he'll bounce back. He'll yeah. bounce back. Um, I think another cool storyline in this game is you know we can talk about stats for sure, but the fact that Austin had two goals on target and two goals scored. Um, that's not going to happen for them every game. But the fact that um, I don't have them all up, but it's nine goals on target for St. Louis and three went in, that's sustainable. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's something yeah. we can continue to do. There were eight off target for Austin. So that's 10 total shots, two on target for Austin, uh, 13 total shots, according to MLS, nine on target from St. Louis. That's awesome. So I don't know. I, it, the fact that we felt like we controlled the game most of the game, we didn't see that coming. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I just, again, I, I think we can keep doing this if legs hold out the whole season. That's my feeling and maybe my only worry at this point. I felt that um, while watching the match, and especially after looking at the stats afterwards, from possession to shots to shots on goal to uh, number of passes, Every single thing, it reminded me to a T of City 2, where we we possess the ball around 40, maybe up to 45% of the time. Uh, we definitely have the fewest number of passes by a significant margin. We were City 2 is one of the lowest um, volume passers in the league last year, if not the lowest. Mm-hmm. So so that, that was not surprising to see. Um, the number of shots and shots on goal that we had compared to them was another hallmark of City 2. So a lot of the, the, the way that the game ended up playing out and the attacking on both ends was very reminiscent. And that is why I keep hammering home the importance of City 2 last year in not just the 
um, camaraderie and the gelling of all the players, but in in buying into the style. We heard from some of the guys like Nico Joachini, Indiana Vasilev in preseason, how it's a new system. They, they're not used to playing it, but they love it. Like what's being asked of them is soccer. And they're so excited and they're buying in. You can hear it in their voice. But all these other guys who are able to bring that knowledge from City 2 is, is so important. And it leads to the types of results that we saw where we're killing them in shots, in shots on goal. We're, we're not having the number of passes because they're quick and we move the ball vertical. It's, it's to what we were talking about earlier that the role of Edward Leuven, uh, Tim Parker, Jabulu Blome, like they were a lot of our, our facilitators. Uh, the number of passes on our team were led by, I think, those three. I think Kyle Hebert had some good amounts. And, um, heck, Klaus even had almost 30 total passes in the game. He was a good facilitator and distributor. But when you're doing that and you're moving it up the spine, you're doing it while the ball is taking up so much of the field. These aren't little quick passes. These are the types of passes that Klaus scored the goal on, where you're starting with Leuven before midfield. You're getting it up to Joachini uh, past midfield. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're all the way into that attacking third for Klaus to create a chance. And, and that, to me, all of those pieces... Um, are extremely uh, replicatable, replicatable, replicable, because mm-hmm. that's what we saw last year. We know it, it has been done so often and so successfully by our system in the past and in the past. And so, you know, no matter how the defenses play, our opponents play, that's why I, I kept saying earlier, we need to stick to our system and our style. And if we can, it matches up better with some teams than others. But yeah. that's how we're that's how we're really going to find success this year. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and also uh, another correction: I didn't add in the block shots, so it was 18 shots to 13. So sorry about that. Yeah. Um, I, we haven't. We will play a team that plays they that game plan around us right so we know what we're weak at and we'll get into that we we saw what we were weak at with with city too and it's going to be the same for this team and so i don't think charlotte's going to do it it's possible but uh like at some point we're going to play a team that you know does those cross counters immediately to a winger pass shot goal to against two guys basically on an island and if our center backs can't stop that um, and if Blom can't get back, like if people just beat us to the race to the goal, that's going to be something that's going to be w- what we struggle with in the future. Um, so I don't think we need to worry about that with Charlotte. We don't need to hammer it now. But, you know, again, like the, the person in me that wants to like temper expectations is, boy, these first two weeks, we really did get the kind of team that we wanted to play. Now, Austin is so talented. I thought they'd overcome that like we saw against North Texas in one game last year, but like, yep. no, they didn't. And so, you know, looking pretty good. Stu, you haven't talked in a while. Any thoughts on, on the Austin game? Uh, further thoughts on the Austin game? No, I think I'm all uh, basically talked out on that, but I am excited about this Saturday. Um, well, yeah, why don't you talk I, about yeah. like the parties that are going to be thrown this weekend? I don't know what your plans are on game day. My plans on game day, I have some operation stuff with some of the supporters, things going on that I can't talk about, but that's going to be my whole day. So I won't be involved in the march or the game day parties. I have some other things going on to be cryptic. (laughs) We we love cryptic. (laughs) Devo. 
I'm so excited, dude. Uh, Matt, what are your plans for, for Saturday? Uh, Saturday is going to be a family affair for me. So we've got uh, my wife and the kids are coming down uh, probably around between lunch and dinner time. Um, going to the East Plaza, the, the Lulians tailgates where we'll probably spend a lot of our time. But just getting them involved in this is one of the things I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, I, I obviously can't wait to see the, the players on the field, experience the atmosphere in the stadium. I just want to take it all in. And I, I don't get uh, we don't get very many chances to see huge sporting events like this take place. Like I, earlier in the week, I likened it to um, uh, when I was when I was talking with Brendan Weezy and, and Ben Fred on Tuesday, I likened what we're probably going to see to a Cardinals home opener where we are either just coming off of a huge playoff push or we have high hopes for the year. And, and, and there's just a lot of optimism because you know, there are different types of years for the Cardinals, but that's the opening day or the 2019 blues Stanley cup run, Mm. not Stanley cup party. That's a different level, but the run where you're seeing parties in the streets, you're seeing uh, bars packed everywhere, but it's going to be such a, I mean, it's going to be – that's the only thing you can really kind of compare it to, but I'm looking forward to seeing the localization of all of that where it's not spread out by five, six blocks. There aren't bars throughout the downtown area. It is this district. And we've talked in the past about being excited about bars and restaurants cropping up around the district. It's here. We have Schlafly. We have Cybergs. We have Maggie O's. We have The Pitch. We have Union Station. We have the the East Plaza of the stadium. All of that is going to be jam-packed. And just the, taking in the sight of it all, like I'm, I just want to walk the area for a bit mm-hmm. and just see and take it all in um, while kind of just, you know, giving that experience to my kids because w- at least one of them is going to remember it. And mm-hmm. with any luck, we're going to unlock a core memory. Yeah, there you go. Um yeah, I think – I guess I just want to say basically that the tap room is going to be the biggest kind of gathering point, I think, for the hardcore fans, the Luligans. And so the Luligans are throwing that party. You're starting at 4 o'clock at the tap room. and so Outside, I think, the 21st Street is getting shut down. Oh, Luligan good. Street. Yeah. Good. I was hoping it would. So um, that party is going to be the place to be. Um, I'm going to start there and just kind of, like you said, Matt, I want to wander around and just take it all in. Um, I won't have my kids that night. And so it'll be me and my wife and and some friends. And so we're really going to enjoy the night and take it all in. So um, no massive plans. You know, you looked, Matt, you you put up some great pictures of of the Greenway and um, the Mills Creek. um, I'm shocked. It's so good. Because I... I think I would like to think that I show up to that stadium fairly frequently to get like a, a decent periodic picture of, of what it looks like, just whether going to the, the practice fields or the store or Schlafly or just up in that area because it's, it's, it's really fun to be in now. It seems like they've just gotten so far overnight where the the guardrails are down. I know those went down like a week or two ago. The 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 crossing lights like the stoplights are working the crosswalks are painted market street looks really good like mm-hmm. they've got that asphalt and it's lined it i was impressed when i turned off jefferson earlier and i saw just it's a, a legitimate looking quality street that you want mm-hmm. to be the front door to this world class stadium and so so i i'm just impressed by 
the polish that I saw today. Um, because you know, we, we saw those things like the, the Mill, Mill Creek Valley monument and what that looks like. But when it went up, it went up amidst construction. So it was hard to really take it all in for the grandeur that it should be. Now you're getting that sense and you're adding in bells and whistles like the Brickline Greenway now have, um, on the finished sidewalk, some kind of logos and graphics down there. You have some signage up that shows the importance of that. And I caught myself looking at the signage of the Brickline Greenway right outside the stadium and really getting a sense of this stadium is part of the community because the, the path that it takes going from the arch down, down past the stadium to Forest Park and then up to the fairgrounds and then down to Tower, like down to Tower Grove where, where ideally they'll connect. I mean, there's just, there's just so much around it that it is a path to a wider city. It's, it was a lot to take in. And I think that, I hope that everybody has that, that sense of this is a, a centerpiece to the city, but it's also kind of a piece. It feels like it should have always been there. And they have trouble picturing the failed on-ramps that used to exist. <laughs> like that to me, that to me is a hallmark where you walk up there and you're like, this is beautiful. I, I, and especially if you've never been there, I could never imagine this used to be failed highway interchanges mm -hmm. and just a big hole in the ground. Cause I think that's what it is. All right. Well, I think I want to end Stuart. Any last words before we, we do a silly question and then get out of here. Oh, he might not. Uh, just the last thing, shout out to, I think, uh, one place that's not being uh, talked about a lot for a pregame place is uh, Brick River Cider, which is only two blocks north of uh, the stadium. And it's right by, um, oh, it's like a county to Washington. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great place. Uh, good food, good cider. Um that'll be a place for I think a lot of people go to that it's a little bit farther north so a lot of people might not initially think there but hopefully some people will find their way there that that's a good call um my wife has celiac disease and so cannot drink mm. beer that is a great spot and we were so happy that a cidery opened in St. Louis in that location um they've got they, they will have drink specials I'm sure most places will but I know for a fact that they will um they have they have some new like TVs and areas in there. Um, they're good people up there too. And also, well, shout out to Beffa's, um, who really got in on the ground floor with a lot of the build early with St. Louis City. Um, they're the home. I think they're the home of the punks. But if not, uh, the punks are doing their yeah. their their watch party punks there. And Santos, yeah. Punks and Santos. So that's a good spot. That's a little bit west of um, of the stadium, and still, uh, I think they're gonna be part of the march. The the punks are from there. So that's another spot you can hang out to. Did you say what intersection that is? I didn't. I, I didn't because I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard of that place, <laughs> so I need to look that up. I'm going to look that up. That's awesome. Um, okay, so other than sport, I think the next thing that I'm really excited about, and this is very St. Louis of me, so I don't mind doing this on the podcast, I'm like trying to decide what to eat there, right? And, and the, <laughs> the options are they're so numerous, and I bet we all have a different answer. I've decided in this one, so I got Balkan Treat Box last time. Uh, PSA, use the app, number one. Other PSA, Stuart said it earlier, 
be ready for your phone not to work outside the stadium. It sounds like the Wi-Fi is going to be awesome, and it was good when I was there earlier. But get that app on your phone now. You can order through yep. the app, and you can go pick it up. I jumped like 50 or 60 people in the line at the friendly for Bayer Leverkusen. It felt so good. So use the app. I But this time... I think I'm going to get um, – there's a Vietnamese restaurant. I can't remember what it is, but I saw that they had this uh, vermicelli thing, and I can't wait to get that. So that's what I think I'm going to go mm. for. Either of you guys know what you might be trying? Uh, for me, it's Bulk and Treat Box. I didn't get to – that was the one I didn't get to try during their, uh, their like, uh, test phase where they invited people to show up for their meals. I got Steve's, I got their uh, Beast, and um, but I didn't get to go to uh, Balkan Treat Box, and that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in that um, home and away place. So they're, I think they're supposed to have like rotating items from the visiting team, and oh. yeah. So I like, I don't know if we're gonna have like um, you know Carolina pulled pork or something like that mm. or whatever they're supposed to be famous for. But that that's an intriguing one that I'm probably going to at least check out to see what offerings they have. Um, but yeah, Balkan Treat was the one that I was going to go with. Uh, I haven't had that since I haven't had Balkan Treat since um, they did that city event uh, a couple months ago. But I have had um, I've had Beast and I've had the Block. Mm-hmm. So when when Leverkusen came, I had food from the Block, and that is a uh, that is a good burger. I'll say that. So, so you got the burger. I was going to ask. The block is yeah, so I, good. I got the block special burger with uh with bacon and caramelized onions. It was delicious. And you know, we should do a food segment. I think we should start doing a food segment on this <laughs> podcast based on all the stuff in the stadium. Like, what have you had? What are you looking forward to? Um the the Mexican one seems really interesting to me. What is this? Uh Madrinos or Padrinos, sorry, Padrinos. Um the the tacos de papa with the pork. Oh my gosh, the pictures in these apps are killing me. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm looking at it as well. Right? I'm a that, that's what I should do for as well, so. That's what I should do for lunch sometimes. It's like, what kind of food am I in the mood for? Let me open up the city app and mm-hmm. see like what kind of food is out here. And then far, farm truck is over there. I saw a lot of people walking away with that brisket mac and cheese at the game. You know, I'm wondering um I'm wondering how in depth the order ahead's going to be because like if you look at the app right now, there are Seven, eight, there's eight, um, eight eateries you can order ahead from. And I know there's a lot more places, so I wonder if they're going to add anything there. Hmm. Um, but shout out to the uh, the markets. If you ha- if you didn't use the markets during the Leverkusen game, it um, and if you've never been to another MLS stadium or anything like that, it is a, what we thought was futuristic technology. You uh, Austin has this too, um, although their setup is, is terrible. Um, ours is significantly better from a throughput perspective. All you have to do is take your credit card, you scan it to open a gate as you go in, and then you just walk through, you grab whatever you want, and you walk out. And it charges your credit card. Oh, I've heard about this. I didn't realize it, we had it. I, I always caution, check your credit card just to be sure. I saw some people, um, I saw one person, I shouldn't say some people because I, sh- I don't want to oversell it, say that like they got double charged. But I've, I've used that kind of system. I used it twice during Leverkusen. I used it twice during Austin. No problem at all. Also, add your payment before you get to the stadium. That's the other thing. In I the waited. app, yeah. I was yeah, In the app, yeah. I was adding yeah. mine as I was walking around and the crowds were insane. So 
Um, and yeah, plan for the crowds, guys. I mean, it gets trafficy around those those shorter sides. What sides are those? Is that east, west, or north and south? On uh, it's it's north south. And yeah. at the Leverkusen game, it was especially bad on the south side. I know the yes. supporters section they were kind of good about that um, on the north, but the south where you had the city goods store and you had some of the uh, some of the um, more intriguing restaurants, it was really really bad from a concourse perspective. Now, there's a level of newness. It was a friendly, too, so I think there was some meandering that was occurring, which mm-hmm. could happen during the Charlotte game because there's a lot of people who this is the first time they may have had a chance to be in the stadium at all or for a significant amount of time, so I wouldn't be surprised for that. But uh, I agree with the recommendation of make sure your payment's loaded into your app. Try to have a plan maybe when you're when you're going in to know like what restaurants you want to order from because you can look at the menu now on the app Get a sense of like day of even. I'm not talking planning two days in advance your dinner, but get a sense of the game on game day, like what you might want to eat so you can plan ahead and know, all right, I'm going to order from here. Because during the game too, one thing that Leverkusen had is wait times that showed up for the order ahead as well as the section numbers. So you can really, you can plan your, how long it's going to take to get your food. You can plan uh, where you need to go to get your food. Maybe you want to change things up because something's closer to your seat. A lot of information you can check on that app. Yep. A lot of information that we just gave you, and we're going to stop that now. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, uh, podcasters. You guys are the ones that have that have been here for so long and, and made this uh, possible. So thanks for listening and, and hanging out with us. If you want to, like, log in, you know, I say it on Twitter, but maybe you guys don't know, but you can log into Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter and interact with us while we live stream and so we're going to start trying to do i think we're going to nail down like thursday nights between 8 30 and 9 we'll sign on we might even nail down a time at some point if we think we can pull it off we'll get kids so we'll, we'll see about that but um anyway uh thank you so much for listening we really appreciate you guys being around and hanging with us talk to us on game day if you see us otherwise enjoy the game we'll talk to you guys in another week or two bye can't wait go city